This is the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast with your hosts, Chris Spear and Andrew Wilkinson. Each week, we'll be speaking with food entrepreneurs and people in the culinary industry. If you're interested in learning more about our organization dedicated to helping people build and grow their food businesses, look us up on the web at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org and on Facebook and Instagram at Chefs Without Restaurants. Now, enjoy the show. So this is Chris again, and I'm doing another episode without Andrew. So this week, I have my good friend, Anthony, with me. Anthony is a little different than most of our guests. He is not a professional chef, and he does not work in the food service business. But he is what I would call a very serious home cook. His hobbies include pasta making, charcuterie, fermentation, and gardening. Last year, he and I actually did a collaborative pop-up dinner in Washington, D.C. that was focused on homemade pasta and Italian food. We did eight courses together, four of which were homemade pastas. So you don't have to be working in a professional kitchen setting to be an awesome chef. So I had him come on talking a little bit about being a serious home cook, some of the things you could do, some of his favorite resources... As I mentioned, pasta is one of his favorites, so he gives a lot of tips on practical pasta making, and I'm dropping a lot of his favorite resources in the show notes. So check those out. You can find him on Instagram at Tony Dig, T-O-N-Y-D-I-G, and definitely hit him up if you have any questions about any of those things. I hope you have a great week. I know we all have a lot going on right now, but please... Hit me up if there's anything that I can do for you, and I will talk to you soon. All right. Welcome to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. This is Chris, and once again, I'm going to be doing the show solo today from my garage, and I'm really excited to have today's guest. So I have Anthony with me. Anthony, why don't you go ahead and intro yourself and let everyone know a little bit about who you are and what you do. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it probably a little unique to some of your other guests who are, you know, industry uh, folks. Obviously, a lot of the guys you interview have restaurants, they're working restaurants, food trucks, catering businesses, etc. I am probably what I like to consider an obsessed home cook and, um, you know, forayed a little bit into some pop-up last year with you and to consider doing some of those uh, going forward. Uh, Obviously, delayed currently uh, with some of the plans to do some this year, but, but certainly have a few on the docket uh, for you know the summer and fall if things work out. But pretty much a stay-at-home uh, cook is what I call it. You know, I, I got a full-time job, but I am you know, obsessed with all things food and food-related, uh, whether it's you know, fermentation, gardening, baking, pasta making, as you know, is one of my passions. But um, you know, any, anything that, that you can do with your hands and do at home, like I try to get into it. And, uh, you know, it's one of my passions, one of the things that uh, keeps me going. And I think you're more into it than a lot of professional chefs I know. I'm so <laughs> That's probably true. Impressed <laughs> with all the things you have going, you know, and it seems like you're not doing anything half-assed, you know, go big or go home. And that's why I was super excited for those who don't know. Uh, we did a pop-up this summer, uh, or I guess last summer, fall, together yep. in DC and it was uh 
an Italian themed kind of focused on homemade pasta because that's one of the big things you're really into. And that was fun for me because I don't do a lot of pasta. So really having the opportunity to work with you and do that, that's kind of what Chefs Without Restaurants was all about for me in some respects was doing pop-ups, especially with people who could teach me some new things and just have a good time. And the fact that you could totally throw down, you know, someone who's not a professional chef that you could get in there and, and cook like any other chef, I thought was so amazing. Yeah, it was, it was a great marriage for, for me, especially working with, with someone who, you know, like yourself, full-time in, in that space. And um, obviously, like you said, I, I'm passionate about homemade pasta and, and cuisine, Italian cuisine. Um, but I don't have the experience cooking for, you know, 10 to 12 people. So uh, I learned a ton from that experience. You know, there's a big difference cooking for a party of 10, 12, 16, whatever it is, and, and cooking for, you know, my wife and kids at home. Uh, and so being able to lean on you for a, a lot of uh, tips and advice was huge and kind of transitioning, you know, making pasta for four, you know, cooking for, for 10 or 12. Uh, and yeah, you know, we did, I think a lot of four pasta courses, I think we did, right? so yeah. we four separate pastas, uh, yep. all homemade. And what did we have? Like a dozen people, 14 people, something like that. Yeah. 12, yeah, 12 people. Um, that's, that's a lot of pasta. Four, four pasta. Yeah. <laughs> I think I was up at like 6am, uh, both Saturday and Sunday morning, cranking out dough and, and, uh, and pastas. Obviously if you're going to do it, like you said, I, I have a mentality of, of go big or go home. So, I wasn't going to make it week before and freeze it, wanted it done right and, and you know, proper curing and dry time and all of that. So it was fun. I, I had a great time. And, and uh, you know, like I said, I look forward to hopefully doing a lot more of those going forward. How did you get into that? Did you have the cooking bug early on? Is it something you've always been interested in doing? Uh, I mean, coming out of college, I always was interested in food not necessarily as a career, but just more passionate about, you know, how things are made, right? Like, where do they come from? Like I said, gardening, like, you know, coming from the dirt, growing stuff yourself at home and, and then turning it into a meal. Like, so I, I tend to gravitate towards those types of cuisines, right? So pasta being one, you know, similar, it's like, you know, it's, it's amazing to create such a complex dish from some simple ingredients. Uh, if you, if you kind of understand the science and, and it's different from baking where I, I hate baking, right? Like I, I don't like following recipes to the T. Um, I prefer feel, right? So the, one of the biggest things I think if people making pasta at home, what are, what are some of the biggest like mistakes that people make, right? One is, is probably trying to follow a, a recipe to the T, right? Because it's such, it's so much about feel like humidity is different altitude. Like, you know, your kitchen temperature is going to be different and all that plays into the feel of the dough, uh, how much water you need, how much you know, hydration you need, you know, those types of things. So I, I, I've always kind of been drawn towards those types of cuisines, things that you really need to get involved with your hands and, uh, you know, that have rich culture and background, right? Like you know, our known as we're, making pasta for hundreds of years and it's still you know the same techniques today uh science and technology hasn't you know isn't isn't going to drastically change something like that i mean from a if you're extruding pasta sure and that's and that's fine but you know i think being like i said a home cook i i, I really love kind of getting into the nitty-gritty details of that kind of thing 
Yeah. And I love Mexican food and I feel the same way about tortillas. Like tortillas yeah. are super easy. It's, a, you know, if you're making corn, it's two ingredients, it's masa and water and people all the time. Ask it sounds them, so easy, right? It sounds so easy, right? But it's like, are you heating your water? If so, to what temperature? Um, what's your hydration rate? And it's the same thing. It's very much a feel. Like I can say, I weigh my masa and I weigh my water and this is my ratio. It still might not be the same for you. So you have to have that yeah. intuitive, like, did and it you, might not oh, be the same day today as it is next week. Exactly. Did you cover it when it was resting or did it dry out a little bit? Like you need to know what that feel is, that like tackiness, right? And pasta is the same way, like that right hydration. And you might yeah. need to just- And, and that hydration is so different from shape to shape too, right? Like a, a lot of the time, like I'm, I'm not going to make a dough and then decide on the shape afterward because the hydration, the stickiness, the tackiness, like it, it, it all plays into that final shape, right? So if you're stuffing or rolling a pasta, then you're probably going to want a little bit more tackiness in your dough in order to, you know, be able to seal it when you're shaping. And so it might be the same dough, like, you know, for a stuffed pasta, I'm probably going to use the same similar type of egg ratio dough that I would use for noodles. But the hydration is going to vary a little bit because you, for your noodles, you're going to cure them or give, let them dry out a little bit before you cut them uh, to retain shape. And, and for your stuffed pasta, you want a little bit more tackiness, right? So when you're you know, sealing uh, the edges, you want that, they call it like single layer, right? So if you think about a, a rolled stuffed pasta, inside the cheese or whatever the filling is, you have like a single layer of pasta, but on your edges where you're sealing, you've got double layer. So in order to cook at the right time, you've got to seal the double layer to a single layer thickness. And if you don't have the right consistency in your dough, that's going to be troublesome uh, or it's going to open or pop in the water. But again, it kind of goes back to what you're saying, you know, thinking through what you're making and how the, all the steps of that process impact the final product. What do you think is the best pasta that you can make quickly and I mean this in the context of, I have a lot of customers say, Cavatelli. <laughs> I want you to come anybody, to my house. I can teach anybody to, to make cavatelli. Like that's just like probably the, the most simple straightforward, right? Semolina water, that's it. Um, and you're talking probably like 45% hydration, maybe 47. And the easiest to shape, I mean, you're, you're rolling out a rope. It's very similar to when we made Malaratus, when, when you were working in the pop-up with me. Cavatelli, very similar. Uh, it's just going to be the thickness uh, that you're rolling the, the strands out into before you kind of pop them out into individual cavatelli. But semolina water, that's it. Um, you know, you're letting it rest for probably 30, 45 minutes after you need, and then you're, you're ready to roll. And it's, it is, I mean, you can use your thumb to roll them out. You can use a knife blade to roll them out. Uh, you can use, like, if you have a pastry cutter, you can use that to roll it out, but it is, you can do it on a flat surface. You can use the back of like a cheese grater to get some texture on it. Um, I've seen, you can use like a sushi mat to get kind of some ridges on it. You don't need any, you know, fancy tools or anything like that, but most definitely the, the simplest uh, of pasta shapes to, to get started with. That's good to know because people want me to come and make pasta and sometimes they have a very specific thing they want me to make. And it's like, well, once you think about the, the mixing time, the resting, the hydration time, and then like when you roll it out, does it need to cure? Uh, it just seems like it's a lot more than I can handle in a dinner. Like if I'm going to only be oh, yeah. for 
four hours start to finish, it doesn't seem realistic for me to come and even start right off the bat making pasta that then we're going to eat that night at dinner. Like I don't see that I can yeah, fit into my, my plan. I haven't had the experience of working in, in some of the, you know, in restaurants that, that are doing homemade pasta. Uh, so I can't necessarily speak to how they specifically, I have some friends that, that own Italian restaurants and, and I lean on them for advice, but I know that, you know, refrigeration for a certain amount of time is perfectly kind of normal for, for pasta shapes, you know, especially if you've got egg in the dough or otherwise, but um, like if you made it in the morning or even the night before for certain shapes, you could keep it in the refrigerator up until service without having a major impact on kind of the texture feel. Um, I wouldn't, I would go, but you don't want to leave it then out because you want to go straight from the fridge to, to dropping it in your water because uh, you don't want to lose shape or if you bring it back down to room temperature or anything like that. But certainly it doesn't necessarily have to be made out of minute, right? You, you can, do some things in advance with fresh pasta. Um, and, and you can freeze it too. It's not the worst thing in the world. It's still, t- it's still gonna taste good. If I'm only doing pasta dinner every quarter, I wanna I might do it, you know, <laughs> fresh. But uh, certainly, you know, you can you can try it at home and see freezing and, and kind of it'll adjust the cooking time, that type of thing. But uh, yeah, certainly there's some options to to not having to do everything last minute right up before the, the dinner. Yeah, and I normally wouldn't. It's just when people talk about cooking lessons. That's what I get a lot of. Oh, yeah, yeah. People want cooking lessons. Like, yeah, I totally would rather do it ahead of time and bring it ready to roll at your house. But I did a um, bridal shower bachelorette party a couple weeks ago, and the big thing they wanted was to learn how to make pasta. And I just said, like, listen, we're doing like a five-course dinner uh, (laughs) pasta is not going to work. Like for this yeah. That's like a two course. That's like a salad and pasta. <laughs> yeah. Like having six girls learning to make pasta in a Airbnb where I have to schlep all my stuff in and you want to make it and eat it that night. I just didn't see any way that was going to happen. But I said, you know, I would love to come back maybe to your house sometime and we can just do like a pasta workshop like me and yeah. you, but Cavatelli is great. And Papardelle is another pretty simple one. Papardelle or like a Tagliatelle, like it's pretty straightforward in terms of a simple egg dough. Uh, and you're, you can, you don't need an extruder. You don't need, like, I, I hate those attachments on the back of the pasta machines. So you can feed through the fettuccine and, and cut it out. There's absolutely no reason not to just use a knife because you've got prop, you know, the, the dough, the right consistency, you're, you know, you just, just measure off how far off your Tagliatelle noodle is, your Papardelle, and then and cut your strips right with a, a nice sharp knife and that's pretty straightforward too yeah you and i talked about that because i got a roller last year on facebook marketplace and i think it had the cutters and you said don't even bother with the cutters <laughs> yeah toss those <laughs> roll, roll it out and just cut by hand so that's what i've been doing other than pasta what's your next big thing that you're into i mean do you, is it like the fermentation thing or probably the gardening, thing? gardening and butchering right mm. so my buddies and i uh we typically butcher and break down two to three pigs at a time twice a year, you know, uh, and we do a lot of whole meat curing. So, uh, you know, copas, lonzos, lopa, got some prosciuttos hanging for, you know, up to, we'll do 24, 36 months on those. I really prefer like the funkiness that, that comes with a longer age on those. And so, yeah, that's probably one. And then the other is, like I said, I know you and I share a, a love for gardening as well certainly trying to do a little bit more each year. I learn it's another thing like baking and, and pasta and all those other things you learn as you go uh, every year, kind of tweak what you're growing and how you're adjusting your soil based on the previous year's results. And I'm probably in year 
four or five of being serious into it and uh, planning to kind of really get into a little bit more this year than I have in past years. And it was last year that you had the deer ravage your garden, right? <laughs> right. I had my tomato plants that were beautiful. I mean, the, the yield was incredible. I probably had, you know, 70 to 80 tomatoes on, on three different plants and the deer didn't touch them and they grew out of, I have a uh, kind of a little greenhouse cover that's only four feet and the, the tomatoes were supposed to be, you know, the, the smaller size and they just blew up outside of the, the cover. And so I took it off and just watched them and the deer didn't touch a single tomato until I swear they went from like almost ripe to ripe. And then like overnight they destroyed like 80% of my tomatoes. So I I got, I'm building a little uh, fence this year around it and I'm going to do probably double or triple the total tomato plants as I did last year. Yesterday I had my first things pop up. I had uh, four things come up. So I think uh, the row seven cucumbers, three plants popped. And that that's a Fantastic. 100% germination rate, which is crazy to me. Because I, I think I've had almost 100% with all their stuff. And two days. We planted yeah. those on Sunday night or mid-afternoon. And by Tuesday morning, those things had popped. But, you know, yeah. it's a lot of doing it the right way. Like I have a heated seed mat. Yep. I have like I keep it covered with this dome thing. Uh, it's got a lot of water in there. I'm using a grow light, so it is creating like an indoor. What, what grow light are you using? An LED or a fluorescent? Yeah, I'm using uh, an LED. I I've had it for five years or so. I think it's probably something they um, sell to grow pot. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, no, I have I have an LED too. It's got a pink light and. I always am worried of my neighbors like I can see in my back window. <laughs> it's a gigantic spotlight that I have on like one of my uh, workshop tool clip-on clamp lights. So I have this clamp light clamp to the uh, table in my living room, just throwing a ton of light. Like my wife doesn't even want the light on when she's home because the whole house lights up. But yeah. that's how you get uh, 100% germination in two days. So Yeah, I love their badger flame beets too. The, the roast. And, and the cucumbers last year were probably my best growing plant that I had all year were the row seven cucumbers. Yeah. The eight, nine, eight squash grow really well for me. Uh, I think last year we had two plants and I pulled probably close to 50 off of that mm-hmm. and they hold up really well. I just used my last ones up in like February. You know, oh, wow. Nice. They were growing in the summer. I just put them in the garage and stored them really well. Yeah. And they were super hardy. So I got a lot of mileage out of those, which was nice. I'm hoping to have a, a banner year this year with that stuff. Beets, I think I'm mildly allergic to at least. Oh, no. Yeah, at least in their raw state. I have really bad seasonal allergies and pollens and stuff. And we grew some beets three or four years ago. And my wife took them and made a raw salad and I ate them. And I had the worst pain I ever had in my throat. It was like someone kicked me ninja style in the throat. Wow. And I did a lot of research and the general consensus without consulting a doctor is that there's high concentrations of pollens, especially in raw vegetables, beets being one of those. And it's not uncommon. And I've read a lot of things from people who say, you know, that's vegetables only natural defense. Like they're trying to yeah. poison you. And this whole raw food movement, like a lot of raw uh, yeah, I was gonna say, that's produce how I isn't know, good for I, you. I prefer beets raw than I do cooked a lot of the time, sliced thin, especially those badger flame ones. The, the flavor is incredible. Yeah. So I didn't get any of those. I'm not messing with those beats. Maybe I should for my family, but um, <laughs> otherwise everything's a go with me. Yeah. And then, you know, other, you know, the gardening kind of 
you know, morphs into some of the other things that, that I really love getting in right now, like lacto fermentation, pickling, dehydrating, and like preserving, like in terms of when you talk about like the home cook, right, which you know, every, a lot of people right now are doing a lot more home cooking than they ever did before. And I think the well-stocked pantry is like the number one go-to for, you know, being able to produce really awesome food at home, right? So uh, being able to preserve those fresh ingredients that, you know, are awesome in the middle of summer through those various, you know, through pickling, through lacto-fermentation. I got into dehydrating a lot of stuff last year. Like if you, for our, our pop, we did the uh, dehydrated the nasturtium leaves and then ground them up into a salt, which was awesome. But, you know, there's, there's so many different ways to preserve those, you know, those seasonal flavors uh, to be able to kind of tap into throughout the year. Yeah, my nasturtiums went crazy last year and I realized we're going on vacation you know, on Monday and on Sunday, late afternoon, I was like, I'm going to lose all these if I don't do something with them. And like a mm-hmm. crazy person, I went out and pulled all my nasturtiums, the flowers, the leaves, and spent the next hour, probably two to three, preserving <laughs> them. You know, and I took the flowers and I threw them into some gin. I threw them into some vinegar. I uh, ground some into sugars. I took the leaves, same thing, like dried some in bursts in the microwave, ground them up, and I was just doing everything. I threw some in a blender and made like a chimichurri and then threw it in bags and stuck in the freezer because you spend all this time and energy making this stuff. Oh, yeah. Like you can't let it go. But I just hadn't really thought about that and they had come up. I'm like, I'm going to lose all this stuff in the week that I'm gone and just wanted to jump to it. And I still have some of that stuff in my pantry from last year because it's held up really well. The nasturtium flower sugar was really interesting. Just taking the petals and uh, grinding them into white sugar was really interesting because it has that like pepperiness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that, I mean, you mentioned vinegar, like you have to be able to accept failures too, right? Like you deal with those a lot, uh, obviously and learn from, but like I've, I've never had success making vinegar. Everything I've tried has turned out completely terrible. I mean, fortunately, you and I both also share a love for Keepwell and, and uh, you know, the folks there that do incredible, awesome things. But that's one where uh, I will spend the money to buy the, the stuff that, you know, that they're doing and, and, and you know, move on to something else at home because uh, that's, a, that's a tough one. But it's a fun project. Yeah, I, I tend to have too many of those going on at once. I, I've just started a, uh, a Parmesan garum. So primarily taking like rinds, like a, you know, a ton of Parmesan rinds with koji and water, uh, and then just letting it go in a slow cooker until you've got like a beautiful, rich, intense Parmesan garum. You uh, so, applying for a job at Noma? <laughs> no, never. <laughs> but yeah, projects are all over the place. My wife is very, uh, uh, sometimes she gives me a hard time, but a lot of the time, you know, she's very forgiving as it relates <laughs> as it comes to this. <laughs> Yeah, I just did a, a pickle brine fried chicken uh, at home the other day, but I was so disappointed because I had this jar and it probably looked like urine, but I had been like combining uh, pickle brines and stuff like that in the fridge, saving up for this. And my wife, yeah. every time she opened the fridge would say, are you done with this? No. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. And last mean. week, she must have thrown it away. And I went to go make my fried chicken this week. I was like, where's the brine? Oh, that got thrown out. I'm like, you literally, every time you open the fridge, you ask me, I said, save it. But it was a combination of like 
pickled jalapeno brine, yeah. like dill pickle brine. Well, at least stuff. you combine them. I'll just leave like six to eight like empty brine containers in, in different sizes in the fridge. But at least you, I should probably combine them into a you know a single. I probably should have something. I have two fridges in my garage. There's no reason. Or label it, right? Get some some painter's tape on there. So I didn't have quite the pickle brine fried chicken I wanted. Like I may do, but my in-laws had a jar of like Vlasic kosher dills. So I poured all the brine and then we had a jar of like dry pickles because I just wanted the brine for fried chicken. I'm like, well, we have to eat pickles with dinner because these are not going to hold. So yeah, you have all these little projects going. I know how that is. So what are some of your favorite resources for a home cook, being that you are a home cook? And maybe not everyone's going to be as into it as you, but if someone out there, a listener, is looking to get into some cool projects, where what are some resources, whether it's books, websites, like where would you point people who wanted to kind of get into some passion projects? Yeah, well, luckily, I mean, we're in a, an age now where like resources are not the issue. It's it's more a matter of, you know, finding what you're passionate about and then getting into locating the right resources for that, right? Because with YouTube, with, you know, blogs, with Instagram, even like from a pasta perspective, I've learned more on Instagram than anywhere else, without a doubt. I mean, there's so many incredible pasta chefs that, um, you know, are, are really, uh, engaging on Instagram where, you know, I'll reach out, shoot them a DM, ask them a question about like dough hydration and they'll get right back to me, you know, videos where, because it is, you know, we talk about pasta being so much about feel, but when it comes to shaping, like you can't read about shaping in a book, right? Like it's, it's really challenging to kind of try to read through the, the process of shaping a pasta in, in words. So being able to tap into resources like Instagram for something like that has been invaluable. Um, but yeah, I mean, I read a ton of books too, obviously, you know, cookbooks, I think more for inspiration than recipes, you know, different ideas that you can, cause as a home cook, one of the things that I've learned is like organization and prep and like the ability, you know, the, the mindset of not trying to do too much, right. Keeping it simple, getting great ingredients and keeping it simple because you know, we don't have stations like you have in like a Michelin restaurant where like somebody's handling the sauce, somebody's handling the protein and like, you know, you, you've got to do it all. And so the more complex that you're trying to make a dish by yourself in a short amount of time, the more you're likely to F it up. Right. And yeah, so the same thing, my, my whole business, like I came from a place where I had a lot of hands and cooks to literally overnight having no one. And doing it off site as well. I've really had to learn editing and being able to get the most bang for my buck on that plate. Like my customers are not looking for something that has four sauces on a plate and multiple proteins mm-hmm. and all this. Like I've gone back to kind of the protein and two sides or something like a pasta where it's all in one dish. And that's just the way I need to have my food be based on my business model, unless I want to start hiring people. And I think it's come out for the better. I've definitely learned editing. Like you don't need to put that extra thing on. I mean, look at the plates that we put out with just the two of us there. You know, we didn't have 15 people. There weren't four sets of tweezers going on the plate. (laughs) And we we barely had enough room to like stand back to back. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So imagine doing that dinner by yourself, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so, I mean, the resources are more than anything just, you know, circle back to finding out what you're trying to 
if you don't have something in mind, it's going it's just too much information out there almost. So, you know, if it's pasta, you know, you can research, like I said, YouTube, Instagram, whatever it is. But if it's something like pancakes, right? Like, you know, if you, if you, whatever it is that you're into, you know, I, you can find a lot of really great information out there in a you know multitude of, of sources. And I find videos are probably the most helpful, but you know, obviously, you know, reading a lot and kind of digging into why things work helps when you're in, in the home kitchen uh, to understand, like, if you don't understand why you're doing something, you don't know how to apply it to something else. Right. If you, if you, if you understand like why you're adding this ingredient at this point or why you're not like why you're salting the water versus salting uh, the, the pasta, right. Versus, you know, and understand the purpose behind it, then you can apply that to other dishes and other cuisines uh, as well. I think it's challenging when you have conflicting uh, trains of thought. Yeah. From, from find someone you respect, experts. find someone that you have a similar, you know, uh, you know, uh, preference with in terms of like, you know, type of cuisine and, and flavor profile. And, 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 you know, cause like you said, otherwise, yeah, it can be really challenging, uh, to kind of navigate different opinions and, and different methodologies. Yeah. Like I have, I probably have 20 pasta books and they're all different. It's like when uh-huh. <laughs> a flower and water book or you're going with Mark Vetri's book or Jen Lewis's pasta by hand, they all have different ways that they approach something. It's like, Oh, well, you know, I don't want to say what's the best, but like, where should I start? And you just like take one of those books and work through it and try. And then from there, maybe try one of the other books and then you can combine once you've kind of got there. It's, it's the kind of, they the all thing, probably like, work, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's not the one's right or one's wrong necessarily. Like everyone, you go, you go over to Italy and you know, the, it's so regional pasta is so incredibly regional. You're not going to find the same uh, pasta made the same way in Bologna that you're going to find in Rome. Right. It's just, you know, how it's hundreds of years of, of, perfecting uh, a certain way of doing something and it's and not that one's wrong and one's right it's just they that's just how they've done it and like you said it's it's, it's preference of you know growing up eating it that way yeah i mean i've gotten into pizza too and i've been working on pizza dough and like there's a million different styles like you might this might be a perfectly made or a really good neapolitan but if you like a different style then you like a different style and yep no doubt you get in all those things. So yeah, pasta is the same with that, but I'm kind of beginning my pasta journey. So who are some of the Instagram pasta people that uh, you would recommend following? I know there's a lot, but if you had a couple yeah, we, for those who maybe don't. Some of my favorites. So you recently met Paseo David, right? Uh, yep. Up in the, uh, the Philadelphia. Um, Philly chef well, conference. The Philly chef conference, right? Yeah. He's, yeah. he's incredible. His stuff is, is amazing. I, I love a lot of the resources he's done. He does a lot of videos and things. So he's great. Um, Rob Gentile from Barbaruca uh, is fantastic, and his pasteo there is great. Uh, Anthony Andiaro, who used to work down at Bianco in, in Scottsdale, uh, now has his own place in Westchester, Philadelphia, and uh, he he's incredible. Did you know I used to live in Westchester, Pennsylvania? No. Yeah, that's that. be- before we moved here to Frederick. That's where I lived, and it was before... Uh, he came there and now you hear all this about, yeah, like, oh, there's this amazing place in Westchester. I'm like, I lived walking distance from there. Yeah. You know, I haven't been back uh, to Westchester since we moved in 2007. So it's probably worth a trip up there for that. Yeah. And, and Todd Stein's an, uh, a chef up in Chicago that I'm good friends with who 
he's been incredibly helpful uh, to me in terms of like, you know, one-off questions uh, on, on different doughs and types of, of pasta shapes. But uh, yeah, we, I can throw out some, we can throw them on the notes in the, uh, the podcast as well. And uh, yeah, definitely. I always like to have a good uh, amount of show notes. So I'll link all those up there. I'll put your info, but then also some of these people and yeah, let, letting everyone know some places where they can at least get a good start. We talk a lot about shapes. We, we don't talk a lot about sauces. And, you know, yeah, I, I, think no. about, I think about home cooking and how unique and different it is from restaurant cooking. And, you know, we talk about simplicity and how that you know, is important for home chefs. And, and I think it stays true with sauces as well. If, if you think about, like, what are some of the biggest mistakes home cooks make when, when making pasta uh, at home, right? I think sauce is probably up there towards the top, either over-saucing or over-complicating sauces, right? Like if you're going to go through the effort of making homemade pasta, don't drown it in sauce, right? <laughs> like let the pasta speak for itself. And, and, you know, you don't, you can do as simple as like, you know, I love carbonara sauces and, and I love um, like a simple like Grisha, which is, you know, similar to cacao pepe, but with some, uh, guanciale or pancetta added and then you know you can do simple butter sauces like one of my absolute favorite sauces when it's in season is like cherry tomatoes uh, just like blistered down in olive oil and garlic and like throw a little basil once they've popped and like it, it is super simple but it's it's got elevated flavors from being seasonal that are incredible um, you know married with like a fresh homemade pasta uh, similar to we did the sun golds on the pop-up, right? Like it's two ingredients, it's sun gold and olive oil, right? <laughs> like, I mean, it, it's all you need, but the way you cook that down when the sun golds burst, it's one of my absolute favorite sauces to use in season based on just the flavor profile and the, and the simplicity. But uh, I think that's something that home chefs need to really consider when they're making pasta at home, you know, not, not to get too complicated with the sauce. A simple pesto uh, is beautiful. Off heat, don't ever toss your pasta with pesto on the stove that you're going to break up the vibrancy. You're going to kill some of that, that intense flavor. Always toss off heat uh, in, a, in a stainless steel bowl or just take your pot off the heat. Um, same how, with like how when do you you're doing your pesto. Are you a mortar and pestle? If I can, I, that's certainly my preference. I think it has a, a huge uh, improvement if you do use mortar and pestle. Obviously, being a home cook, you have the time and capability to do that. It's a little bit tougher in restaurants, right? Um, but I think using a mortar and pestle definitely gives a, a more intense, a complex uh, flavor profile that, that once you've tried it, it's, it's hard to go back. You know, similar with sauces, like uh, in terms of one of the, the things I hate is seeing a, a bowl of pasta that goes from the water to the plate and then you put the sauce on top, right? Like there's not much more maddening than that. <laughs> using the pasta water and the the you know in the pan to toss your your sauce and your pasta and kind of you know marry the two together bind them get all that sauce within you know in the nooks and crannies and coating on your pasta you know certainly make sure that you're cooking a little al dente on your pasta to to allow some cook time in the pan with the sauce right so cook it 80% cut it down you know from when you would normally be ready to eat and then put it into your pan with your sauce I don't think home cooks realize how much butter is used in the industry as well. Right. For so sure. like, I've definitely learned, like, don't let my wife see how much butter I use. Salt as well. I think people really yeah, underestimate how much no salt question. things need. 
especially the salting the water. My wife's the same way with that. You know, every recipe says salt the water till it tastes like the sea. And my wife, who's a dietitian, looks like she is going to die when she yeah. sees the amount of salt that I put in the water yeah. when I'm cooking yeah. my pasta. And if you salt to the sea, you kind of have to have more restraint when you're finishing, uh, whether it be with like you know, Parmesan, which adds some saltiness, uh, you know, breadcrumbs or, or otherwise. Do you dose your cooking water with any semolina? I know that's something I've seen in recipes. No. You know, that, that restaurants are reusing the same water so you get... Uh, oh, yeah, that's probably something that, that, that may make sense from a restaurant perspective. I don't think it has any... From a home cook, I don't, I don't see any real benefit. I'm not going to reuse my pasta water after. <laughs> you know, meaning that like in a restaurant, the water has been reused a number of times, so it has that residual starchiness. So you oh, I see what you're saying. You're yeah, yeah. At home, this is your first batch of pasta for the night. Right, and right. It doesn't necessarily have that uh, starchiness, and that yeah, especially because like, home home homemade pastas cook so fast, right? So you're yeah. not you're you're not developing. That's interesting. I, I I mean, I will play around with it now. I think that's Thomas, <laughs> but I haven't historically. I think Thomas McNaughton's Flour and Water. I think I saw that in there and it's, you know, I have the book, I'd have to look, but it's maybe one or two tablespoons of just semolina flour in the water so that, you know, if you're cooking a very quick, fresh pasta, adding that water into your sauce, you're not really getting that body uh, Mm -hmm. because you don't have the starchiness. Just something interesting. I I didn't know if you were doing or not. I'll run the test and let you know. Awesome. Sharing the knowledge, you know. That's what it's all about. Absolutely. Got all kinds of other stuff going on. I, I got a sourdough started a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I started it before the, <laughs> the, the you know, Corona hit and everyone else, you know, uh, bought up all the flour from the store. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. Like I now seems like the good time to do it, but I can't. You would think so, but there's no bread flour available. <laughs> there's no flour anywhere. Um, I can't find commercial yeast either to make breads and stuff. So I'm down no, to yeah, two packets of could, yeast. Good luck and, on, on pizza making at home. I mean, that's probably one where you do wish you had a starter at this point because you're not going to get your hands on any active dry yeast. Yeah, thank God. You know, uh, my buddy well, co-host of this show, Andrew from yeah. Pizza Llama is still in business. So I think if I need pizza, I'll just hit up Andrew and say, can there I just buy, a, buy a pizza round off of you um, <laughs> and go from there? But yeah, all these projects I want to do. I mean, we, we already did some baking yesterday and we used one of our packets of yeast. It's like, ooh, I got two left. What am I going to want to do? You know, depending Yeah, my on- daughter really wants to make donuts and I'm like, that's pretty much like I'm out of yeast. If she would we make yeasted donuts because <laughs> she likes the I like the cake, you know, old fashioned cake style. She likes the yeasted, and that's that's pretty much our full supply of, of active dry yeast if we make yeast donuts. <laughs> yeah, someone the other day posted a recipe for an easy focaccia, and it called for five cups of flour. I'm like, mm, is <laughs> I got to ration that. <laughs> is easy as good as that sounds? You know? <laughs> Really weird times. Like when we go back and listen to these podcasts, everyone's gonna be like, "Wow, that was like the old days." These people talking about like rationing. We're like, yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah. So I've kind of modified the speed round question. So I guess getting into that, the first question I had on there is, "What are some things that you would buy for your pantry?" You know, what are you went to the store two weeks ago because you knew you were going to be locked indoors. Like what are some of the things you bought or some of the things you wish you bought that, you know, if you're going to be in the house for an extended period of time, things that are shelf stable. So not talking about what you're canning and putting up yourself, but what are some of the things that you wanted to make sure you loaded up into your pantry to have? Spices, certainly. I'd love, you know, all different kinds of unique spices. I, I know I, we talked about pasta, but like my wife and I love Asian foods. We love Mediterranean, Greek food. You know, we love all different kind of ethnic type foods. So 
uh, having a really well stock water of spices, I think it would be critical. I think other than that, like you said, I mean, we talked about the need for flour, obviously, <laughs> being a critical one. I mean, eggs I go through uh, a ton of eggs. Uh, we, we love, you know, you can use them in baking, you can use them in pasta, you can use, you know, all, you know, eggs are something that, that I would absolutely add to the list. What else? Um, I don't know that there's a lot from, you know, the pantry staple side that like, I mean, I don't like a lot of processed food, so if it's not go buy like a ton of dry beans or oh, dry beans, yeah, absolutely. Dry I beans. mean, I just ordered like six pounds of garbanzo beans yeah. uh, off of Amazon to make falafel to have around for. I just made like two dozen falafel last week, and they're they're gone in like a couple of days. Um, so yeah, and Rancho Goyo has incredible beans. His business is booming right now, right? Yeah, I saw that if you order today, you get it like in, I think May 5th was like your expected yeah. shipping. <laughs> I have a bunch of beans because I'm a New Englander and there's some very specific beans that I can only get up there to do like traditional Boston baked beans and things like that. So when I was up there not too long ago, I brought back a ton of beans. I'm a fan of the yellow eye or the Steuben beans, both nice. of which are like main beans. So I have like 10 pounds of those. So I'm going to try a bunch of stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it'd probably be spices, uh, milk, eggs, and and flour, right? You can do pretty much anything with, with a lot of those. Uh, I mean, fortunately, I probably had 30 to 40 pounds of flour before this all happened anyway. <laughs> and I probably house. had like 10 pounds of beans already. <laughs> My wife I laughed because you know, a friend of ours was like, oh, yeah, we went through, I think we have nine days worth of dinners. So I was like, I'm fairly confident we could go nine months without going to a store. Yeah. Well, we're going to get into some weird, interesting stuff. It's a good opportunity. And I'm hoping my family's down with some organ meat cooking because I got nice. stuff in here. Um, hoping to break I think up. I got like 30 pounds of flaw in the freezer downstairs too. Oh, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm not fancy like that. Like I got meat part and some livers in there. So once again, I'm coming to your house. Well, that sounds yeah. like you're pretty well stocked there. Uh, do you have a favorite chef? You know, it sounds like there's a lot of people you follow, but is there someone you've always really been interested yeah, in? Yeah, I mentioned, I mentioned Rob Gentile earlier. I mean, Barbuca is on my bucket list, you know, for sure, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, some of the, the, one of the places that I think is just doing incredible stuff right now. You know, otherwise, uh, Dan Barber uh, is somebody that I, I really admire uh, and would, would love to get to the farm one day to, to do a meal there. And, and, you know, the things that he's doing, in terms of, you know, within the restaurant industry, uh, I think are uh, unparalleled and really incredible moving forward uh, as it relates to like sustainability and farming and stuff. So he's probably up there towards the top of the list too. And I know there's a lot of books, but do you have one or two books that you would recommend uh, people check out or something that you particularly love? I love cooking from Zahab. That's that's one of my favorite like go-to books. Um, What's your favorite you know, recipe? Because that's one of my favorites as well. The burned eggplant, the twice cooked burned eggplant. I love that one. Um, but that's probably the one I cook the most. But in general, I just think everything is in there is awesome. Do you know what's become our favorite? My wife found it. It's the halloumi date and apple salad. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you, I fantastic. actually have served that to like guests, like customers. We made that at yeah. home. And I just loved it. And, you know, for people listening, you puree dates with walnuts, sherry vinegar, and olive oil. And then you put that down on a plate and you take some halloumi cheese, sear it in a pan and olive oil, and then just take like a Granny Smith apple, cut it into matchsticks, put it on top, and some fresh dill with some Urfa Bieber or Aleppo yeah. pepper. 
um, super easy, packed full of flavor. And that's yeah. just one of those things. I think it was the first thing we made out of the book. So we make that at home a lot. And I even take that on the road with me and sometimes serve it at dinner parties. Yeah, it's a have and then six seasons. I mean, six seasons is one of those books where we talked about earlier, where like, I don't necessarily read it to follow the recipes, but from in terms of like an inspiration of how to use ingredients, it, it's incredible. And it has a lot of great techniques and tips, uh, you know, and I love the way that it's broken down in like six seasons rather than the typical four as a, you know, a lot of awesome techniques and tips on, on how to use vegetable produce and, and things like that. And it has a lot of subcomponents. Like what I find with these books are a recipe will have five recipes in it. There'll be like yeah. a vegetable technique, a brine or something. And that's one of those books where I don't think I've made anything completely from it, but I found interesting techniques or marinades. Exactly. So like yeah. you, I'm using these books to just go through and say like, oh, you made a whatever, dill vinaigrette. That sounds really good. I'm going to try that. And I don't necessarily put it on the fish or whatever. Exactly. Like how it is those book, things. Right. And that's, that's one of those books I think has a lot of cool stuff in there. Yeah. Yeah. It, it may have 120 recipes, but you're probably learning, you know, 300 different techniques that, that you can use. Yeah. No, that's a favorite of mine. And it's so hard because there's so many books. Oh yeah. I'm so <laughs> backlogged and I'm torn because right now I have the time and I want to go through these books, but I also know I'm not going to have any of the ingredients to make any of the things. I want. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but I'm hoping to go through and like, look at some of these things. Uh, you know, October came and I probably got, you know, 20 new cookbooks and haven't even gotten into them really. So I'm going to take some time, find some recipes and kind of yeah, just get your notepad out and start absolutely down ideas for future menus. Yep. Yep. That's what I plan on doing. So uh, can you recommend a business right now that's still open and kind of either just grinding it out, whether they're doing takeout, carry out, food trucks? So Pizzeria Inferno, Pizzeria Inferno is still doing takeout pizzas. You know, love what they're doing out there. I know they're still open. A lot of the... um, They're in Gaithersburg, right? Yeah, exactly. Rockville, Gaithersburg area. Um, Someone I know said they were there the other night and uh, talked to Tony. Was that you? No, I saw it though on the, on the chefs without restaurants. Yeah, yeah. And that he's doing like a better business than before, like selling out <laughs> faster, which I don't know at all. Yeah. Their stuff's amazing. Um, and then just, there's a, a ton of, uh, you know, places online that you can still support like, uh, you know, Hayden mills flower down in, in Arizona is one of my favorite flour mills. Uh, they're still open, uh, online orders. And so if you're struggling for flour, check them out. I just got an order of like 15 pounds of flour from them uh, the other day. And now that I've got that sourdough going, getting to bread flour and things like that, uh, they're an awesome resource, uh, really worth checking out. Yeah, that's cool. I think so many of these businesses like Rancho Gordo um, and Hayden Mills, you know, as people can't find the things in the grocery store that they maybe would be buying, they're going online and hopefully going to find some really great smaller uh, family run businesses Mm -hmm. that chefs already know of. Exactly. Uh, faced with having to buy, you know, flour online, they're maybe going to find uh, a place that they like. So I think that's really cool. I just want to give some love to those people who are still in business because so many uh, of Keepwell us Vinegar. Right. That's the other one. Keep if well you vinegar. haven't ordered from Keepwell, check them out. Keepwell Vinegar. Yeah, I've got probably four bottles of stuff here. I know that doesn't come close to probably what you have, but <laughs> I probably, I just got an order the other day. And so I'm, I'm probably, I probably have two cases, like 24 or so bottles of vinegar down in the basement. Very nice. Cool. Any parting words for the listeners out there? 
I, I mean, look, if you're, you're, you're cooking from home, the, the biggest thing, the most important thing, you know, it, it is to have fun. I think that's why I do it is I love doing it. I'm really passionate about it. It, it is something that is a stress reliever. It's something that kind of clears your mind from everything else going on in the world. And I love doing it, not because of the pleasure it brings me, but the pleasure it brings other people. And so, um, you know, cooking with that attitude, it, it's hard to, to fail and, you know, being willing to accept those, those failures and mistakes and learn from them. It's just as important being a home cook as it is in the restaurant. Yeah, definitely. I agree there. And um, I'm looking forward to really doing some more cooking at home because I don't get to do that enough. So I'm going to take this time to kind of refocus my energy as a, a home cook as well. So we're all home cooks right now. Yeah. And let's lean on each other. If you got any questions, like you said, you know, as it relates to whether it's pasta or otherwise, you know, I'm, I'm more than happy to touch base and share some information. Fantastic. Well, I'll put your info out there and people can get in touch with you. Well, thanks so much. This has been the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. As always, please like, share, subscribe, uh, give us feedback. Let us know what you Review. think. Review. Shoot some reviews. Yeah, let's go. There are just a handful of reviews out there. Now's the time. You've got the time. One is mine. Just come on and say, it's a great show. Five stars. (laughs) Yeah, so you can find us uh, everywhere that you listen to podcasts. And obviously, if you're listening to this, I think you knew how to find us. Uh, But we're chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org and on all social media platforms, Chefs Without Restaurants. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show or sponsoring a show, please let us know. We can be reached at chefswithoutrestaurants at gmail.com. Thanks so much.